Good morning, church. It is great to see all of you here today. We have a lot of people that are missing, a lot of people that are traveling, including the entire campus group. Uh, But it's good for all of us to be here today. And uh, I want you to turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. We're going to get over to Titus chapter 2 in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to just make a couple of comments here as we begin. I want to give a couple of words of thank you. It's, it's always great to be in Manhattan, and it's always great to be a part of this ministry. And I really admire what you're doing. I admire John and Arlene so much, and I admire the work that they're doing here. And it's always great to be able to come and to, to speak or just to even be around the ministry here. Uh, Lee and I have uh, many, many memories from the years that we lived in Manhattan and worked in the ministry here. Uh, I wanted to say that Roberta Watson, who's here, was a part of the Columbia ministry and a part of the daytime ministry, and she and her husband Keith were uh, foundational members for the church here uh, in New York, so thank you for your service, and great to have Sarah, who's moving here uh, with us today. Great to have you here. I don't know if Keisha's still here or not. She's here to celebrate her, her grandmother's 85th birthday. She might have uh, snuck out, but um, it, Keisha also is a part of the ministry here. She and her husband, Gary. And so if you do happen to see her, then just thank her for her service in the ministry here as well. She was a part of the performing arts ministry uh, early on, and uh, had a, we had a Bible talk on the Upper West Side that we called the world's most dangerous Bible talk. And it was. We uh, had a really good time together and saw a lot of people become disciples through that Bible talk. So uh, I wanted to say it's great to be with you. Uh, if you're, this is your first time here, welcome. Great to have you with us today. I really pray that you will see that we're a church that's trying to go by the Bible and trying to live out New Testament Christianity. We want to be like Jesus, and we want to live in a way that really impacts the world the way that Jesus did, by doing good works and being, uh, having the grace of God uh, live through our lives. And so great to have you with us today. A couple of words of thank you. I, I first wanted to thank all of you who were in the musical Upside Down, and I know a lot of you were in it, behind the scenes, helped it to happen. And I was there for the Friday night performance. My wife and I were, our whole family was there uh, sitting together. And we were so moved, so inspired. I think I've seen every rendition of the Upside Down musical from the very first one up at the, uh, up in Boston, uh, which went, I don't know, I think it went like 18 hours, uh, something like that. It was really long. There was no air conditioning in the building. We were all about to die of dehydration. But by the end, we still had tears in our eyes to cry uh, when, when Abby sang. And so it was a really, it, I've seen all of them. They've all been moving. But this last one I thought was incredibly inspirational. So thank you for your sacrifice, for the time that you put into that, for serving uh, in that way. And it was a great, great uh, thing for us to be able to experience and to see. Secondly, I wanted to thank all of you who are serving uh, to, to reach the around 3,000 hours for uh, just to be able to uh, commemorate and to honor uh, those who gave their lives at 9-11, during the 9-11 event. And um, I've been seeing it online. I've been seeing some of the things that you've been doing. And I have to say, I'm personally inspired uh, from your service. And I know that, that you know, you, I know you're inspiring each other. Because when you go out and you serve and you help other people, you end up helping yourself more than anyone else. That's just the way God has made it. 
But I also want you to know that you're inspiring other regions in the church and other churches around our movement by what you're doing. So thank you so much uh, for your service. And uh, I know you're going to have a great, great service next week. So I was told to give a sermonian today. A sermonian. That's a sermon that runs right into the communion message. And whenever I see the word sermonian, I think one thing. Preacher, don't talk too long. Because I know it's hot in here, and I know the purpose of a sermonian is to try to save that one extra time of speaking because it is hot in here. And so I thought, okay, what can I say in a short amount of time that's going to be powerful? Because I still want to preach a powerful message. And so what can I do in a short amount of time that's really going to help all of us? And I thought, let me talk about grace. Because we always need more grace in our lives. Grace is God's gift to us. Grace is God's favor to us. Grace is God smiling on us. And even though we don't deserve it, even though there's nothing that we can do to earn it, God still gives us his grace. Grace is seen in the cross of Christ. Grace is seen in the salvation of our lives in the here and now. Grace is seen in the hope of heaven and the hope of being with God forever in heaven. And all these things, salvation in the here and now, the cross of Christ, the relationships that we have in the church, the word of God right here at our fingertips, the hope of heaven, all of these things are things that we cannot, cannot earn. But God gives them to us because he's a loving and gracious God. And then out of that grace, we're motivated to live our lives for him. Grace abounds. Grace truly does abound. It's been given to us in many, many different ways. And so if you would, turn over to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, and let's read this together in Titus chapter 2. This is going to sound a little different than whatever Bible that you're reading, because I just did this translation myself. And so uh, we'll see how it compares to whatever you're reading uh, right now. For the grace of God has appeared, and I'm going to talk about that word in a moment, which brings salvation to all humanity. This grace trains us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires so they might live self-controlled, righteous, and godly lives in the present age, looking forward to the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us in order that he might redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now, this is Paul talking about grace, and Paul loved to talk about grace. In fact, most of Paul's letters, he began and he ended the letters with grace, this word charis, because grace was so much a part of Paul's life and Paul's mind, and how he lived every day. He was just consumed by grace, and he knew that grace abounded in his life. And actually, in the Greek, these these verses right here are one sentence, one sentence in the Greek. It's like Paul gets started talking about grace, and he doesn't know where to put the period, because he's so consumed by the grace of God. And he begins thinking about God's grace has appeared. And he just talks about it and talks about it and talks about it. Is that how you feel about grace? About God's favor in your life? 
by the fact that God has plucked you out of the world, given you salvation, sent his son to die on the cross for you, gives you the hope of heaven, do you feel consumed by grace? We should, because grace is, should be the, um, the major motivating force in our life and everything that goes behind what grace is to us. And so we see here, grace has appeared. We're going to look at a few points here as we talk about grace. Three quick points, okay? Grace appears, grace instructs, and grace motivates. Grace, grace, grace. Let's begin with grace appears. Okay. Do I point? Technical difficulties, but I will. There we go. Grace. There's the Greek word there, charis, which uh, can also mean hello. It's a greeting, but it's typically a greeting that's used with this emphasis and this idea of receiving favor, especially in the writing of Paul's receiving the favor of God. So let's look here at first at just this idea of grace appearing. Okay, you guys with me? We're having some technical difficulties, so I think if I just nod, then we'll have the slide advance, okay? Uh, Grace appears. Grace appears is found in the very first verse here. For the grace of God has appeared. That word is an important word. That's the same word that we get the word epiphany from. In other words, when grace comes, it's like an epiphany. Have you ever had an epiphany in your life? You ever had one of those aha moments? Those moments where you just sort of like start to understand things on a deeper level. You wake up a little bit. It's like you're coming out of a dream and all of a sudden now everything just comes into focus in your life. See, that's what should happen when you understand grace. When we really get grace, God gets us. It's that epiphany. It's that aha moment. The word epiphany here, this Greek word, also has the word shine in it. Literally, it means shine on. Because when grace enters our life, when grace appears in our life, it's like the light comes on. The light comes on and everything is now clear. And if you're studying the Bible and you're digging in and you're looking at maybe the cross for the first time or God's love for the first time, then I pray you get that aha moment in which you really see how much God loves you. Because when we understand how much God loves us, then we're going to want to give our lives to him. And if you've been a disciple for 20, 30 years, I hope that you live with every day this aha moment of grace. I am saved by grace. I'm motivated by grace. And the light comes on. And we live our lives every day because of the grace of God and what God has done for us. Grace appears. Grace appeared to Paul on the Damascus Road. He had that epiphany. And his life was changed forever. Grace appears in our life, and it changes us in our lives as well. Have you ever had one of those aha moments? Hopefully you have at some point in your life. And I hope that all of us will have one spiritually and understand the grace of God. And I know that when, when Lee and I were married, 35 years ago, we've been married for 35 years now. We were married in a church building down in Raleigh, North Carolina, And I can remember in the back of the church building, there were these doors that were shut. 
And then when it came time for her to enter the auditorium, the doors opened up. And I had one of those aha moments in my life. I mean, she was so radiant, so beautiful, still is today. She had the curls that she still has today falling down around her face. And I was like, in a moment, she's going to be mine. And I just, I was overwhelmed by that. I started crying. And I cried as she walked down the whole, the whole uh, aisle there, coming down front. Some people said I was crying for her. Some people said I was crying because her dad was right next to her. He's six foot five and weighs 240, 50 pounds. He's a farmer. He lifts tractors with his own bare hands. And there was that, him being there and realizing I cannot mess this up because he has a whole farm to bury me in if I do mess it up. So I cannot mess this up. But mostly, really, really, it was her. And I was just taken away. My breath was taken away. And that is what Paul is writing here when he uses this word. The light comes on. The epiphany happens. And our lives are never the same after that. And when you get the cross of Christ, or you understand the love of God, or you see the hope of heaven, that's what should happen in your life. That you have this moment of grace where everything changes for you. And it's an epiphany. It's a time that is just, it's going to be, everything's going to be different because of that. You know, there's an old church song that goes, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. And once you understand grace, once grace has appeared to you, then you need to count your blessings. You need to understand the idea of, I, I want to, I want to appreciate all that God has given me. And I encourage you, count your blessings all the time. Count your blessings every day. It's a, that's one way to understand grace deeper. There was a study done by Bob Edmonds. Bob Edmonds did this study where he had two test groups. One test group, he had them basically come in and just met with them, and they had no assignment. He just talked to them. He just tried to make sure that they were part of the test. The other group, he gave them one assignment, one simple assignment. At the end of the day, I want you to journal and write down every blessing you can think of that you've had in your life, and I want you to do it every day. And that was their only assignment. Count your blessings at the end of the day. At the end of the the time period, at the end of the test, He compared the two groups together. And the group that simply had written down their blessings, journaled their blessings every day, they were healthier, they were happier, and they were improved. He saw a marked improvement in both their health and their happiness. That's exactly the same thing the Bible tells us. But it's always good when science and the Bible fit together. This test shows us, count your blessings. And it's something that we need to do as disciples. We need to think of all the ways that God has blessed us. Don't take grace for granted. Let's move on to point number two now. Point number two is grace instructs. It's found down in verse 12. Grace does instruct us. It trains us. This is the word here, train, is the word which means to train, to instruct, or to educate 
And this is what the, the grace does for us. And also within the word is the word child. Like a child learns is how grace should teach us. Or put it the other way. We should learn about grace like a child learns about the world around them. You have seen children and you know children, they love to suck up everything around them. They love to be learners. That's what children do. You know, we recently had a grandchild. His name is Bradley. There's Bradley right there when he was just born. In the next slide, I have Bradley in his Spider-Man costume. Uh, And uh, Bradley, from when he was just able to start focusing, he would just turn his head like this. Constantly. Still does. And just soaking everything in. Just turning, turning, took him out a couple of days ago, went to the park, and he was just looking at everything, saw a boy swinging, just watching the boy swinging. And that's what children do. They just love to soak it all in. And when we have that childlike spirit, that's what we're doing with God. Do you have that attitude that you're just going to soak in everything that God can teach you? You know, one of the great ways to learn from God is to get in his word. And to spend time in the Bible. I've been reading a lot from an author recently called Scott McKnight. And he's he's a really good writer, an evangelical scholar. And he writes a lot of popular level books as well. And one of the things that he likes to say, he likes to to tell people, point your nose in the Bible. And I like that image. Keep pointing your nose in the Bible. Because that's how you're going to understand God more. That's how you're going to get grace more. And that's how you're going to learn. God instructs us. He instructs us, and grace instructs us in a couple of things. One way that grace instructs us is to say no to certain things. Say no to certain things. If you're going to be instructed by grace, you've got to learn that word no. And you've got to learn to say no to ungodliness. You've got to learn to say no to sin in your life and to unrighteousness. You've got to learn to say no to some things. I just got back from a trip to Africa, and I bring you greetings from East Africa and the churches around Kenya. I got to visit a couple of churches there. They love the New York church, and they always say, go back and and tell people how much we appreciate the sacrifice that the New York church has made for the churches in Africa. So I bring you their greetings. But as I was there, I, I was riding down the road one day, and I saw this big dog and this little dog facing off against each other. And the little dog was running around the big dog, barking and making noise and growling. And the big dog was just standing there like a lion in the jungle, totally unfazed by this little dog, except for one time, one time I saw the big dog just lash out and just give this giant bark. And then the little dog just cowered away. And I thought, that's exactly how we need to be with ungodliness and impurity and sin in our lives. We need to say no. You know, James says, resist the devil and he will run from you. I love that verse. I count that as a promise of God, that if I were to resist Satan, he's going to run. Let me ask you this. How much have you caused Satan to run this week? How much has the devil run from you this past week? Because you've said no. Grace instructs us, say no to certain things. But then grace also instructs us, say yes. Say yes to certain things. And so we need to understand, we need to say yes to self-control. 
We need to say yes to godliness in our life. We need to say yes to righteousness. That word godliness is the exact same thing as ungodliness above, except ungodliness we say no to, godliness we say yes to. But we need to say yes to certain things in our lives. And saying yes to these things is a way that grace will instruct us. Say yes to making the right choice every day. Say yes to reading your Bible and getting in the Word of God. Say yes to being a person of prayer. Say yes to have fellowship and having good relationships in your life. Say yes to the things that have helped you to grow to this point in your life spiritually. Don't let go of those things. Keep doing those things. And then continue to say yes to other things that are going to instruct you and help you to grow in God's grace. Point number three, God motivates. God motivates. You guys with me? Okay, God helps us. Grace motivates. Grace is something that keeps us going every day if we really understand what grace is all about. Here it talks specifically that grace is going to motivate us by giving us a hope of heaven. Grace is going to motivate us by thinking about the second coming of Christ. Grace is going to motivate us by thinking about the death of Jesus who gave himself for us. And all that leads to good works, good works that we're going to do in Christ Jesus. So grace motivates us. We need to reflect on certain things that are going to help us to stay motivated as disciples. Keep in your mind, keep reflecting on Jesus is going to come again. Keep reflecting and meditating on and thinking about that heaven is going to be so wonderful, so amazing. Keep reflecting, never let go of the cross of Christ. One of the greatest motivations that we have is the fact that Jesus died for us. He took our place on the cross. Keep reflecting on that, but then allow that, allow that to inspire you to do good works. And that's really what grace should help us to do in our lives. It should help us to think about, okay, how can I go out and simply do some good? You guys have been doing that with this building up the 3,000 hours, just going out and doing good. But my question will be that once the goal has been met and once the 9-11 service has happened, what will you do then? Will you keep on doing the good works? Because you've been motivated not by a goal, not by a service, but simply by God's grace. Because the grace of God is there in your life. I read a story recently about a person who started a prison ministry. He went into the prison. He started having a Bible talk. He got the guys together and worked with them for months and months. And one day he asked the guy, he said, since I've been here and we've been looking at Jesus and we've been looking at the grace of God, can any of you tell me anything that you've done simply because you understand more now about Jesus and about God than you would have done before? He said the whole group, the, 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 the men who were, had been in prison, they were all very, very quiet. But then one guy spoke up, but he happened to be one of the leaders of the whole group. He was a big man. He was, he was, um, he was a tough man. Everybody knew him for his toughness and knew him for his strength. His name was Mr. Garcia. And Mr. Garcia spoke up and he said, you know, if it weren't for this group right here, He said, I don't know what I would have done with my cellmate by now. My cellmate, he doesn't think right. He doesn't 
He doesn't have all of his mental faculties. And so there are days in which I just, I just get so upset with him. And yet I think about Jesus. And I think about Jesus and how he would have treated him. He said, my cellmate, he, for, for months, he never took off his shoes. And he said, this, is in, this was in a, a prison in Dallas without an air conditioner, um, 100 degrees in the prison and more on many days. This guy would shower with his shoes, would go to bed with his shoes. And he said, finally, I just asked him, I said, and it's been months now. And I asked him, I said, why don't you take off your shoes? What, what is, what is it? What is the problem? And he said, he spoke to me and he said, if I took off my shoes, they would smell so bad that you and everyone around me would make so much fun of me. He said, I've not had my nails cut in forever. They've grown out. They're ugly. They're stinky. And it's much better that I leave my shoes on. And the cellmate said, he requested a guard to come. He whispered to the guard to bring him some nail trimmers. And when the guard arrived, he looked at his cellmate and he said, take off your shoes. We're going to take care of your toenails. And he trimmed the man's toenails. And he said, that's an act of goodness I never would have done without Jesus. And for all of us, grace should motivate us to look for acts of goodness that we can do. It might be just when you're going out into the city that you make a few sandwiches and take them along to be able to help people along the way during the day. It might be that you greet people with an extra sense of enthusiasm than you would normally do if you didn't understand the grace of God. It might be that there's a willingness in your heart and a willingness in your life to stay up with people, study the Bible with people a little longer and a little later if you didn't understand the grace of God. But all of us, grace should motivate us to do little things throughout the day because of what God has done for us. I'm going to go to the end of the sermon now so we can just switch to the very last slide. That would be really helpful for me. And I want to close by something that I wrote called Grace Appears. And as I read this and get to the end of this, I'm going to then lead a prayer and we will take our communion service together. But I want us to remember that grace has appeared to us. Grace does instruct us and grace does motivate us. So let's all throughout the day and throughout the week, let's really be focused on God's grace. For Paul, it was all about the grace of God. He saw grace through Jesus and his life changed forever because of that. Paul began his life with Jesus with grace and by the end of his life, he's crying out for the grace of God to come upon him. Paul was consumed by grace. And for all of us, from grace to grace, we need to be consumed by grace too. From beginning to end, Paul was consumed by grace, from grace to grace. Paul found grace on the Damascus Road, and he also found grace on the edge of an executioner's axe in Rome. He lived for grace every day, dispensing grace wherever he went. He embraced grace, grace for the unlovely, grace for the unlovable, grace for the chief of sinners, grace which changes, which transforms, which gives life, which gives hope. Grace which forgives, which renews, which creates. Grace which sets us free. Amazing grace. 
How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Grace builds, grace elects, grace convicts, grace inspires, grace emboldens, From grace to grace, begin with grace and end with grace. God's amazing grace. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for the opportunity now to be able to take this communion. And we know, Father, that this bread represents the body of Christ. This fruit of the vine represents his blood. And we know that it's because of your grace and because of the sacrifice of Jesus that we're able to come here and we're able to remember what he has done for us. I pray, Father, that you will help us every day to be motivated by grace to go out and do good to people around us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.